So now that we've established that I'm right. Welcome back to A Knight's Tale, where James is still reveling in his victory. It's only been three minutes. Let me have this. I never get to be right about stuff. This is part two of A Knight's Tale on City Wave Cinema. Now, we left off. I don't remember because I was so deep. Plot-wise, we left off in a different place than we did argument-wise. Argument-wise... We have established that Sir Thomas Coville is the alias used by the prince. That will come into play later. But what matters is the tournament in which we first meet Sir Thomas Coville, he and William joust. And they go into a draw. And there's a brief meeting of the knights. And Sir Thomas Coville opens his face mask and he goes, I'm finished. He is very clearly hurt, probably has broken ribs or some such. He does not wish to participate in this match any longer, but he still would like to finish the match as it will maintain his honor, which is a very knightly thing to want. So they make a ceremonial pass at each other. No one jabs at anyone. There are boos. They don't care. They're doing a service to each other. So, they draw Sir Coville uh, uh, pulls out of the tournament altogether, and Sir Ulrich William moves forward. Now, more tournament things gone. And it is important to note that I believe that's the last time we see Andamar for a while. Yeah, he has to go to war. So he, he gets sent off to war. Um, and I, I made a note and I said, let's keep in mind that Andamar is a true badass motherfucker. Because he is effectively a general for the prince. He leads a whole army. And, you know, I don't personally find it fitting for a super badass general to just be participating in tournaments all the time when you've got a warrior fighting but hey i don't run a country uh so animar goes off to war which means now william has to focus on something else other than beating animar because animar is not in any of his tournaments anymore right so we just do more tournament stuff uh and Alan Tudyk is just an extremely talented actor through the whole thing. And William remembers how to be horny. He comes down from his super competitive evil high, and they write, he writes a letter back to Jocelyn, not apologizing for being a massive asshole, but more just professing his love for her. Which is, like, sweet, but, like, you should have led with, I'm sorry I was being such a dick, and he didn't do that. So, points away from William, for now. Uh, We'll see if he gets them back. Alan Tudyk delivers the letter. We read the letter aloud. It's very sweet. Uh, A fun moment happens where Alan Tudyk says, My master was hoping that you would have a token to return to him. Uh, And she, like, smiles. And then he comes back, uh, tells William all about how she got the letter, and it was great, she loved it, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, they, 
William's trying to extract whatever this token is from Watt. And Watt finally, like, after looking around like a dozen times, straight kisses him on the lips. And William gets it immediately. He's like, oh, 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 I see. Oh, she loves me. Whoa. And is very, very excited about it. Which is super cool. Like, that's great. And it's a funny moment because Alan Tudyk kissed Heath Ledger on the lips, which is hilarious. Uh, and then we go back to fighting with Jocelyn at the cathedral. Now, this was shot in Prague. Fun fact, they have an external shot of a cathedral in Prague uh, with Heath Ledger in front of it. I've been to Prague, and I've been to this cathedral. And it popped up on screen, and I was like, why do I know that church? And I couldn't figure it out until I found out that the movie was filmed in Prague. And I was like, ah! Of course, there's a photo that I took on my phone of that cathedral at almost the same angle, which is super cool to me. Not really super relevant to the movie, but it just made me excited. So William finds Jocelyn inside this cathedral, right? And she's in there, and instead of being like throwing herself at William like she was a minute ago, she's like hard to get now and being different than she was prior. And William is terrible at everything. And just sim besides jousting and just simply uh just keeps talking when he should have shut up 15 minutes ago. Um also, the whole thing on the interior of the cathedral was done on green screen and it looks like shit and I hate it. Uh wholly frustrating to look at. Um also, they kept talking really loudly in the cathedral, and I was like, are you allowed? I don't think you're allowed to do that. I think, and they do get shushed at one point, but, like, I don't think, I think you shouldn't do that. Uh, she starts asking all these, like, trick questions, uh, baiting him into being this, maybe not intentionally baiting him into being this toxic dude, but baiting him into being this toxic dude, and he keeps answering the questions like they're not, like, What's the what's the phrase for a question that you're not supposed to actually answer? Rhetorical. Oh yeah, like she's asking him rhetorical questions where the answers are obviously bad, and he just keeps answering them regardless, which is just an enormous trap that you should never fall into. Uh it, oh my god. So now he's got to go into this tournament, and the only way that he can win her love is if he fucking loses, right? At the same time, we're in France. The trio of, well, the, the foursome of Ferris, our blacksmith, Roland, Watt, and Chaucer are in a French tavern gambling with some Frenchmen about who's going to win the tournament tomorrow. At the same time that William is at the cathedral with Jocelyn, right? These motherfuckers bet everything they have that their boy, Ulrich von Lichtenstein, is going to win the tournament. You see where the conflict here lies in that our boy has to lose. He's got to take a dive to get the girl, <laughs> right? 
First of all, that's super shitty. Second of all, don't bet all the things you own on your guy winning. I don't know. That seems simple and easy to understand, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You never bet everything you own. Only most of what you own. So now he's being super cocky. And they have to go to the tournament, and he has resigned himself to losing after he sees Jocelyn in the stands. So this, this starts the first run of the joust, and that motherfucker doesn't even move. He just stands there, on, or sits there on his horse holding the thing, and he gets ran, dude. He gets smacked hard, and he's flopping about like, ugh, which, you know, duh. And so he takes this massive dive. And immediately she's like, he loves me. Great. Right? Wrong. Because she doesn't like immediately tell him that. And he just keeps getting the shit kicked out of him. Time and time again until there's a moment in between rounds where he's got this arm and a twisty thing that's supposed to pop his shoulder back in a socket. And his friends are all like, what are you doing, you fucking moron? And he's like, and Jocelyn's best friend slash handmaiden comes over and is like, my lady would like to inform you that uh, she loves you. And uh, the only way that you can prove that you love her is if you now win the tournament. So he's down like, oh, seven. Bitches be crazy. And he's, he just, his eyes roll so far back that they spin all the way around. And then again, because what the fuck? Bitches be crazy. Fucking maybe don't hang out with her anymore. She's obviously an insane person. Hey, I love you so much. I've never asked you to lose a game on my account. That is true. But you did make me watch every Twilight movie. And that's kind of the same thing. I am a loser for having done that. Are you? No, because now I can tell people who haven't seen the series that the last scene in the movie is really good up until it's really bad. The last? Oh, the... The last scene in the series, baby. Yeah. The last scene that matters in the series, anyways. <laughs> uh, so now, uh, he's, he's so horny now that he's just taking this dive, and then he gets all fixed up, and his... My note, as he gets this message, is his ribs are broken, his arm is fucked up, how dare you change up the everything about this competition. That's fucking insane. And then Paul Bettany just makes the movie his own. Uh, he just, he just does, he just takes it and runs with it. And that is the scene, of course, where he collects his money because, of course, William wins the tournament. He's the best person to ever joust ever. Duh. Does he lose a single joust from the time he starts jousting? No, he wins. I mean, I don't know if he loses a joust, but he wins every tournament because they even send the tournament reports to... Yeah, they send him to Animar. Yeah, and he... That is... sucks. Okay. Ulrich, Ulrich, Ulrich. It, now, it now, sucks, but it fuels the fuels it, the fire. It does what it's supposed to, and it's bog standard for movies of the time. But nothing grinds my gears more 
than a good guy who never really has a bad time. He has a bad time. He ended up in prison and then in the stocks. He never has a bad time getting good at the thing. He did. Didn't you watch the montage? He sucked. He won his first joust. Well, he, he kind all, of. All he had to do was stay on the horse. He, he did not do well. He in that stood first on the joust. he stayed on the horse. Yeah, but that's all he did. He took a full hit and was like hanging on. Listen, from the time he started jousting with intent, he never lost. <coughs> And that sucks. That sucks. The best... The best. He lost to... Adamar. When? In his first... In that first tournament. He did not win the tournament because he lost to him. I take it back. He did lose. But it was overshadowed because they gave him the prize for being the swords champion which so he's I guess all I angsty about first of all you won at the thing that you were clearly the best at and not 10 minutes ago you bragged about being the best at like he before they even get to the tournament he's talking to his friends and he's like who's the best at swords it's me and then he wins the fucking sword thing and he's like oh this is bullshit it's not the it's not the winner of the tournament it's not master of the Man, tournament fuck you dude you won your event you took first no one could beat you and even actually, he takes more knocks, I would say, in that first sword fight exchange where he starts the sword fight by getting the shit kicked out of him. And then from then on, he just beats the shit out of everybody. Protagonist, man. Uh, and then so it's after that tournament and now they're in like they're in riches and he's in his tent thing. And Jocelyn uh, is fucking horny now. Well, he proved that he loved her. Yeah, after destroying his body and then destroying the bodies of others. Is there a greater proof of love? I don't know. Did I destroy anybody or get destroyed? You could argue my mind is destroyed having watched the Twilight series, but that is neither here nor there. This is not courtly love. So. My man is in bed, bruises all over his shit. Can barely move. He is like, just dead in there, dude. And she comes in with like a garment on. It's like one white long gown thing that has a deep dip in the back and is like pretty roughshod but also is sheer enough that you can see her nipples Mm -hmm. through it because how else can we ensure the audience knows she's horny other than to vaguely disguise a sex organ? I was looking for answers. How else can we do it? Oh, I I thought that was a rhetorical question. It is a rhetorical question. The joke is that I was making it not a rhetorical question. I hate myself. Anyways... I don't like scenes like that, purely based on the fact that, like, did we need to? Do you just not like horniness, James? Do I? I don't mind it in film. I don't. I don't mind it. What I do mind is... I'm not sure... People in recent years have become very up in arms about the way women have been portrayed in film, and I, I don't disagree with them for the most part. 
I think for the most part, women have been largely stuck on the wayside of like either being the hot and horny or the moderately unattractive and helpful. But you get both. I mean, you don't, I don't think Kate's unattractive, but you do get both types of women in this movie. You get a strong, you do, you do independent but... woman who's like doing I... her own thing, and you get the feminine, flirty, sexy lady. Yeah, and I think that's cool. And this is one that it would be a progressive movie at the time for having examples of both and showcasing that women can do shit. But I just. The more I see of movies, especially movies from like the late 80s through the early 2000s, where for the most part women are like largely objectified, I just like there have to be ways that you can showcase a scene being sexual or having sexual tension or just being highly romantic and hot without obvious showcasing of a sex organ like surely we can do that right like surely we're good enough now that we can write it in a way where we don't need to do that you can for sure that scene would have been the exact same scene if the actress had been wearing a bra it does not bring anything to the scene i don't think it detracts from the scene but i'm a dude and the first fucking thing i saw as soon as they cut to William's perspective, it is like, ah, her hair's weird. Tits. The rest of her. Ah, so and it worked. Yes, it, it did exactly what it's supposed to do. And I'm, I want there to be more. Not of that, but I want there to be more creativity in the way that we showcase sex in film. Because sex is everywhere, and everyone does it. So why... Have we only been making it in the same way for 30 years? Why have we only been filming it in the same way? I don't think we're doing as much as we could to make it more interesting and drawing you more into it. Because if the only thing that we resort to is, hey, look, it's a sex organ, and guys go, oh, I just I just wish there was it was better. I, mean, I wish to, it was better. To be credit to your point, like this is just like such a big thing. But it reminded me of a very famous interview that Carrie Fisher did about her time as Princess Leia. And on her first day that they put her in her famous Princess Leia white dress, uh, they show her to George Lucas and he takes one look at her and says, you can't wear a bra under that dress. And Carrie Fisher said, why? And he said, why? Because there's no underwear in space. And he said it, like... George! She, like, remembers it, like... He said it was such conviction, too. But... That's so shitty, though. But it's just, like... I mean, you can also clearly see Princess Leia's nipples in her dress. Like, but it's just one of those things where it's it's such a male-run industry and such a male tactic that, like... I don't know. Like, I get it. Y'all like boobs, which... I mean, who does A very recent thing in history in only a few cultures, like 19 out of 147. <laughs> I just watched a kinky history on it. That's how I know. <laughs> um, but, like, most cultures don't view these as, like, sexual 
icons. Like they're the American dudes. They're meant for they're into tits. They're meant for babies. Like they're meant for like reproduction and like health, but they're not like sexualized. Except I said in like mostly Western cultures. We just like tits. I don't know what to tell you. And so. If it's we could just, stop drawing attention to it in film to indicate sex. I think that's the thing. That's the hot button. You don't need to draw attention to it to indicate a scene should be sexual. You don't need to. Surely you can write a better way. Surely. Do it in the dialogue. Make steamy dialogue. Run it by your wife. Like She'll I, tell you. Like I said, I feel like that scene could play the exact same way if the actress had worn a bra. Like, Frankly, I'm in full agreement with that. Like the, it, it would have been exactly as hot as it is. It's not like there was like, like now to be fair, she was in her, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. She was like <laughs> in her nightdress and yeah. most women, especially in that time where you didn't have bras, you had like corsets and like layers and things. Layers and layers and wraps and stuff. She, if she was just showing up in her nightgown, she. That is what she would have looked like. She would have looked like that. Now, in other things like Star Wars, I can't really lend the same argument other than George. There's Luke. no underwear in space. Apparently. So, yeah. I, Does I, Luke have on briefs under there? I demand to know. Apparently. Well, I, there probably is underwear, but there's probably not bras. I don't know. I'm not a Jedi. I don't live in a galaxy far, far away. I don't know their underwear situation, but according to George Lucas, on record, there's no underwear in space. Listen, we're so far off the rails. I Yeah, we took a tangent I, about... I got heated again, but way more control. <laughs> now. I mean... <coughs> you good? Would you like some water? <coughs> could cut all that out if you want oh, Jesus Christ, what'd you put in that? Lemon. Uh... uh uh, All right. Sex note, organs aside. My note for the scene was that it was just entirely too horny. Uh, in all caps. Because that's it, what you said about most of the anytime Harry William Potter and, and the Half-Blood Prince. That whole movie is too horny. <laughs> and it's like outrageously horny. It's just a bunch of fucked up hormonal teenagers. Which, I mean, yeah. But I don't want to see it. Anyways. Now we're going to London. What? Nothing. Continue. What? I just remembered something we had talked about, but it's not going to work out, so don't worry about it. Oh. Okay. So now we're going to London. And we have a flashback scene to the sad origins of William, where his father gives him away to Sir Ector to train to maybe become a knight someday. Well, just to get a better life. Yeah, because it's inf obviously better than living with your moderately impoverished father. Becoming an apprentice is, yeah, yes. Way better. <laughs> so we get a whole sad scene where Sir Ector, we get to meet him finally, uh, is super kind and takes William, and there's young Roland is there also, and it's very sweet. And William's father imparts to him the advice to just follow your feet. Uh, and then... Fucking Adamar is at the tournament in London. Surprise, surprise. Chaucer shows up to the tournament in London and goes, guess what? Bitch is back. 
and he's banned from war yeah. for doing pillaging. And then Adamar overhears it and is like, yeah, we were doing that for sure. Wild. Wild to not just be like, no, we're upstanding and good. No, he was like, oh, yeah, we fucked shit up real bad. We did that for sure. But I still get to be a count and a knight and here doing shit. Ah, royals. So, you know. Okay. I mean, he didn't do anything bad. Prince Edward just didn't like it and basically said, don't do that. I would argue that what he was doing was pretty bad. I mean, yes, it was bad. <laughs> Objectively. <coughs> Objectively, it was but, quite bad. Like, legally, in that time period, he wasn't doing, like... It's a moral gray area. They're not going to, like, remove his titles or anything. They're just going to be like, hey, like... Hey, stop that. Slap on the wrist. Yeah, stop that. Go no, home. No, no. Go home. We don't want you here. Now. William goes and just finds his dad. Because he's in London again. I mean, he's been to London in 12 years. Which is a stupid move on his part. Uh, yeah. Frankly, he's in disguise as a different person. That doesn't exist. And uh, the last thing that you should do when you're in disguise as someone who doesn't exist is go to see someone who does exist and is directly related to you. Bad call. But we never knew William to be a good spy. We only knew him to be a moderately good jousting champion. Like, I get it. Like, you want to go see your dad, but like... I want to see my dad. And goddammit, if it isn't the saddest thing, his dad is blind. Yeah. So he can't see the man that his son turned fucking sad <coughs> I have two notes back to back that are the very the very similar one says oh fuck me his dad's blind that's fucking sad and then immediately after that when he's having dinner with his dad after revealing himself to his father uh, it's oh fuck me this dad scene is so sad uh, because his dad is just desperately wanting news of his son so sad and he's so happy to see him and then Adamar is in Cheapside, which is Schittsville, where William grew up. And Adamar is just there. And some lady we don't know points at the Thatcher house, and we see William crawl out like Spider-Man onto the roof with no tools to fix a leak in the roof. While it's raining. Not only very difficult physically, but also, why? And also, how will you fix this? And also, why is Andamar there? And the reason is revealed in the next scene. In which... Go on. Well, I was going to say, I like to think that the little girl who he told his identity to goes and tells her mom. Of course. Because that's like just the little girl thing. Like, of course. Mom, mom, guess what I found out? Guess who I met? And then the mom... Was like, oh, I better tell somebody important about this. Yes, that's in my head what happens. I have no proof of that, but that's that's my my head canon of how I don't, he came to be in Cheapside. I don't know if I can envision a world where peasants would not shield the fact that a peasant was masquerading as a knight and winning. Are you from other royals? Are you well, mob mentality? First of all. But second of all, um, like the kid that was giving him a thumbs up during the parade comes and slaps his fucking face while he's in the stocks, so. That also didn't play right for me. I was like, I get if you want to like make fun of the guy for getting caught, 
But if I don't know, if I'm a peasant. Sign of the times, man. And I get wind that there's a peasant masquerading as this champion in a competition where you're only allowed to be royal. I'm fucking keeping that secret locked up tight. No one will know. I will speak of this to no people. Like, that guy is living the fucking dream. Let him do him. <coughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. You've never been a peasant, so I I've guess never, you really I can't I've never been a peasant. I've almost been a peasant, but I've never been a peasant. Um, so Chaucer shows up uh, while William's getting all decked out to go duel it out with Andamar. Uh, on the jousting field. And they're like, wow, you look like somebody died. And he says, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein. And they go, huh? And he goes, Anamar followed you to South to Cheapside. And they knew who you are. And they went to see your father. Which is a lot of puzzle pieces that he somehow put together. That's why I think the little girl had to say something. Because just seeing him in a house, he could have been visiting like, I don't know. It's like a lot of puzzle pieces that suddenly it, yeah, he has. It, there's a lot of conclusions that have to be jumped to to be correct here, and he makes the leap to all of them, which the plot says he does, so he does, but ugh. I See, I feel like the way I would have spun it would have been like, oh, well, I was going to tell my old squire, William's dad, that he had died. Or something awful had happened to him. Yeah. Like, that's how I would have spun it. But I think the key is there that, like, he had a hunch. And they they do mention that he had to, like, show his patents. And they probably scrutinized that versus just, like, going, oh, yes, this looks correct. So that's, I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot to get from point A to point D, D where Ulrich is not who he says he is. So... That's my only, like, complaint about this plot is I'm like, how the fuck do you figure any of that out by just following him and seeing him climb out of a window onto a roof? Like. So now. All this news is delivered to William and William. Simply turns off the horny switch. And the common sense switch. And says, I will stand and fight. And all of his friends and his girlfriend and everyone who gives a shit about him in this world is standing there and they go no how about you disappear into the ether instead and he goes which was not hard to do back run like a coward i would die and fucking ignores everyone who cares about him and goes out and gets his stupid ass arrested he just goes out and does, and he's being so goddamn macho the whole time. Such fucking aggressive machismo. He's screaming at his girlfriend about how he still loves her, but he's he won't abandon this fucking fighting regime. And she's fucking begging him to not go do this, and he's like, I have to because reasons. And everyone, even his friends who have been with him from the beginning, they're like, how about we don't do this right now? And he's like, I'm doing it right now! Fucking idiot. And so he goes, gets his stupid ass arrested, and they put it, they tie a 
medieval handcuffs. They put a log on his back and tie his wrist to it loosely. Uh, stick him in a cell, and he's looking sad in the cell because, uh, woe is me, I'm in here because of me. And Andamar comes in there and beats the shit out of him. For, like, no reason. Uh, and, I don't know, you can clearly see that, like, his arms attached to this wood, they're not stretched. They're, they're very bent. Like, if he wanted to. He could lift the wood off of his neck and hold it in front of him because his hands are on top of it, you see, so he can grip it. Could you? Yes. I don't. I need to. Because you said that, and I was like... Grab the... Grab the... Yeah, you got... Yeah. Now, take it in your hands and up. And forward. Great. Now you've got a beating stick to kick the shit out of Count Andamar in the cell where no one is watching. Even if you couldn't lift it, though, like, my thought was just, like... Just spin and whack him in the fucking head. Like, you got a he, whole plate. He didn't even bother to, like, he didn't even bother to try to fight him off. He went from being so machismo to so sad and horny that he didn't even bother to fight after declaring all he would do was fight. Which is such a... It's this... It, William, at the end of the movie, made me so angry because he became such a pile of shit. And he's not redeemable because he so fights so hard to make everyone mad at him all the time. He doesn't do what anyone recommends at any given time. And he just wants to do it his way. It's like, it's my way or the highway. And his friends are just like, I don't know. None of us have talent. So they just let him. Oh my God. Oh, he's so frustrating as a person. So then they stick him in the stocks. And the whole fucking... Well, that yoke was for sure not fitted properly. So Chad's aware. Uh, okay. if, if it was fitted properly, it probably would have been attached to his neck. I don't... I'm gonna go look, because now Regardless, I gotta... Regardless, uh, they put him in the stocks, and this kid who gave him a thumbs up at the beginning when he got into London runs up and smacks him in the head, and everyone's like, yeah! And then his friends come by, and they're like, we'll fucking defend our boy! Which is, like, valiant of them. And the, the fucking crowd starts throwing vegetables and shit, and then... These three hooded goons appear and reveal themselves. Surprise! It's the crown prince and two of his goons. And the goons draw steel, dude. They've got big swords and they are not here to fuck about. And the prince is basically like, I let him out. I said it, make it so. And they just let him out. And he pardons him. The prince says so. And he... Turns him into a knight. He knights him right there. And he dubs him Sir William. And the, dude, there's, he just like, it's like, I hope you can fucking, I hope you can still joust so you can kick Anamar's ass. And he's like, oh, I'm good. And so then they joust and Anamar, in a last sudden twist, has changed the tips of his jousting lances to be made of sugar and have a spike in them, but only the one. And he gets him on the first run. They joust and he stabs him in the ribs. 
And he has to have a spar of wood ripped out of his chest by Roland. And it's a gruesome moment. And then they follow that up by William getting the shit kicked out of him for two more jousting runs. Finally, he's like, I can't breathe, get it off. And they take his armor off, right? And then he tries to hold the lance and he can't even, it's so heavy and his arm is so fucked up and he just can't lift it. And so they're like trying to figure it out. And he's like, I'm not going to wear the armor. I can't breathe if I have it on. And then he's like, lash the lance to my arm. Tie it to me. And so they're like, okay. So they start tying it to him. Chaucer sees that they need to buy time. And so he gives this not at all lengthy introduction of William. But introduces him as this hometown hero. Which immediately garners crowd (coughs) support after they were already booing and shouting at him. Not... 20 minutes ago, real time. (sighs) The real story here is how much the prince hates Count Andamore. (laughs) Because not only did the prince pull Andamore out of the tournaments, which Andamore loved doing, to go do war. But then Andamar did war too hard. And the prince was like, well, you fucked that up too. So we're disbanding your whole army. And you have to go back to doing whatever bullshit you were doing before. And so Andamar goes back to doing tournaments. And then he's at the prince's tournament. And the prince is like, well, nobody can beat this guy. Where's that Ulrich fellow? Oh, he's not Ulrich? Oh, he's William? Oh, he's a peasant? Oh, they arrested him? Oh, he's in the stockade? Well, good one and two, let's go. And they put on the hoods and they get him out. And he's like, listen, he doesn't say this in real life, but he's like, listen, nobody can beat this guy. I fucking hate him. You're a knight now. Kick his ass. And that's the story of A Knight's Tale. It's not about William at all. William's a piece of shit. I agree that's not about William. I think it's about uh, Jeffrey Chaucer. No, it's about William, but William's a piece of shit, so I've decided to make it about how the prince hates Andamar. Um, I get, we get to the end, they take his armor off, they strap the lance to him, right? And he's got, he's got one run left. It's like, you either knock him off his horse... To get all the points. Or you kill him, which will also garner you all the points. Or you straight up lose here. And die. And now he's opted to not wear armor. Yeah, he's gonna die if he gets hit. I'm no scientist. But I imagine that full tilt, you take even a blunted javelin to the chest? No matter how strong or tough you are, your ribs stop being together. And maybe join your organs. Yeah. That is not going to be good for you. And thus far, every joust has resulted in both lances connecting on both parties. So we have this impossible task for William. No helmet. No armor. Lance that he can barely lift, tied to his fucked up arm. Against dude in full armor who's not even been hit yet. And he's got to fucking knock him off his horse. 
and not get killed in the process. That's such convoluted bullshit. And I know it's to raise the stakes, right? It's a it, You write it in, and you're writing it, and you're like, man, this climax doesn't seem hard enough. It doesn't seem intense enough. And you sit there and you go, what if this? What if that? What if he didn't wear armor? That would be crazy. Yeah, don't reach for that fucking star, brother. That's too crazy. Now, we've gone too far. You're asking me to suspend too much disbelief. No tournament official... Even the prince is sitting there going, yeah, we can allow this. No! He's a newly minted knight as of 15 minutes ago. You gonna let him fucking die there? No! No! What? Oh! It's, it, they fucking carried the ball so well through the whole movie, and then they threw it on the ground at the two-yard line, and they were like, we don't want a touchdown! No! William's a piece of shit! Awful. He had to Terrible. prove his stars. I had to change his stars! You went from nothing to the most popular knight in existence. But yeah, risk your entire life and limb in the last second for prove, nothing. He's got to prove his honor. He's got to prove that... He doesn't have to prove shit. Yeah, he does. He simply doesn't. He is so winning in every regard of life right now. Except for now, he's the guy is blatantly cheating against him. And has forced him into a corner where he will either die or win. It's die or win. Yep. And it's already been proven that he's cheated because everyone knows that the motherfucker put a spike on the end of his lance and they pulled it out. Actually, they didn't pull it out of him. They just pulled, they left the tip in. They left the tip in his chest. Yeah. It's in there. Yeah. And we saw the tip. It's like five inches long. I don't know how big Heath Ledger is, but that, I'm a small guy. Let's bear this in mind. I'm thin. If you took a five-inch spearhead and put it in my shoulder here. Only half of it, because part of it, like, they're holding part of the spiky part, so it's like three inches. That would hit my fucking shoulder blade. That would go all through and into my fucking shoulder blade. That is an extremely severe wound that he's dealing with. Yeah, it would. I just and it's it not brought to the attention of any tournament official that he has been critically injured. Well, no, because if he does that, then he has to forfeit. He doesn't want to forfeit. He just wants to beat him. Well, beat him in the next one when you're strong and have better armor that isn't shattered, dickhead. But then Fucking, his threat oh, of the oh. next time you face me. Or you will be looking at me from the flat. Who back. cares? You got the girl. He didn't. Now listen. Earlier in the movie, it's alleged. It's not even alleged. It's stated that Andamar has entered into negotiations to marry Jocelyn. The only retaliation here is to kill that motherfucker. So what does he do? Not that. He rides. He doesn't get hit by a miracle. And fucking knocks this guy on his ass. 
He won. And he shouted his own name like an egotistical asshole. It's the first time he's been able to ride as William. Okay. Ah. Oh. Dude, the whole notion... Canadian? The whole notion <laughs> of this, like, honor, knightly, courtly honor... That I, James I've been chivalry. so inundated with that shit since I was, like, five years old. Just based on, like, the stuff I grew up watching and listening to and the, the reading material I was given as a kid. Like, I've only ever known gentlemanly shit. And to see that you can be a good person and still manly and, like, all of the best parts of being a chivalrous knight without having to do any of the dumb shit that's involved in chivalry, like honor codes and shit. It, it, it boggles my mind that people would abide by that. And I mean, it's part of the times, but it's like, it just frustrates me because it's such fucking machismo bullshit all the time. And I re oh, it's so pervasive in the male dichotomy of the world is, oh, you gotta be strong and tough and you gotta be this alpha man. I look like this, dog. I'm small. I've tried to bulk before. I don't fit the fucking measurements, dude. I don't, I like my hair long. I've got tattoos. I'm not this clean-shaven, fucking short-haired bullshit. I don't wear a suit to work. I don't know none of that shit. You don't need to. It's unnecessary. The way we've been doing manliness for fucking hundreds of years has forever been unnecessary. And it, we're just figuring that out now as a society. It's like you can be a whole ass man without needing to fit these fucking benchmarks. It's not, you don't need to live by this fucking code. And, you know... In 2001, I'm sure that was super hype and awesome. In my eyes in 2022, I just see more shit I don't like. Because it reminds me of this cookie-cutter mold of what a man should be that I simply don't fit into. And I don't like that. Is it good? Yes. It's very good. It's very entertaining. The movie? Great. I would watch it again. I'd watch it ten times. It's hilarious in parts. It's super fun and horny in parts. It's all this action and violence without needless bloodshed. It's so good. It's a great movie. It's got tremendous talent. Great writing. And it just throws the ball on the ground at the very end. Fumbles the main character and makes it something I don't like at the end. But that shouldn't detract from the fact that the film as a whole is really good. And I think it's really good, and I would absolutely show that to people. I would show people this movie. I think it's great. Other movies that I die hard love, I probably wouldn't show to people. Like Pulp Fiction. I would not make someone watch Pulp Fiction. But I like Pulp Fiction. Not huge on Tarantino, but I like Pulp Fiction. Do you have anything to add? At the end here, I've really come to a close. 
I think I'm good on this one. I like the movie. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies. I like the story, but I also love, like, that the idea of chivalry and courtly love and stuff like that is just... Oh, now this is awkward. <laughs> I always like it because it's just... I don't know. I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. You're a diehard romantic. I am. I truly, truly am. Well, if you are joining us in podcast land, the live chat has voted for us to watch The Mask. The Mask. A Jim Carrey movie I haven't seen. So that is what your next podcast episode will be, and we will see you then. Goodbye.